I want to be ready to meet him by and by. I want to be ready to meet him in the sky. Oh, I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in the glory land. Welcome back to Truth and Reason. As we continue our studies through the epistles, we're going to pick up with Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, look at verses 25 through the end of the chapter. We left off last week talking about um, the, the building up of the new man. And we want to further that thought in looking at the characteristics of the new man as we look at Paul's uh, description of not only the things we should do, but the things that we should not do. Oftentimes, we have to remember that we are identified by what we do, but we also have to be a people that are known for what we do not do. And uh, this is the same in the church. A lot of times, people look at uh, the church of our Lord as being uh, anti or maybe against certain things. And I don't believe there's nothing uh, necessarily inherently wrong with the term. Uh, we certainly have to stand against the wiles of Satan and the powers of sin. And sometimes we're identified by what we do not do, maybe in our worship. Uh, but, of course, there should be an even balance there. But Paul here addresses some things that maybe, maybe not, uh, some of the brethren were dealing with in the church. We're not, uh, I don't think he specifically levels any accusations toward uh, them, but uh, we certainly see the same kind of thing in the book of uh, 1 Cor uh, Corinthians. Um, and uh, <laughs> a little tongue-tied today, you have to pardon me. Uh, but uh, when we look at 1 Corinthians, we see a lot of the problems that the church were dealing with, but all along he, he's calling them saints. He's calling them brethren in the Lord and in the fellowship with Jesus Christ. He's not excusing sin. He's saying Christ has given you the means by which you can overcome these sins. So what we want to talk about in this lesson are characteristics of the new man, putting on the new man and staying a new man. In Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, let's just look at it verse by verse, because what he's basically saying is don't be like the old man. Don't be like you were. Um, don't follow the pattern of a man that's not in a saved state. Um, when we think about 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, uh, he said, such were some of you after going through a pretty lengthy list of, uh, of terrible sins, uh, things that, you know, steeped in immorality. And here in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, uh, he says, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And, you know, that, that's just one thing that even the world understands. I mean, you take the basic, uh, you know, term of lying. Nobody likes a liar. Nobody wants to be lied to. Even the liar who lies to others doesn't want somebody lying to them. It's a kind of a hypocritical sin uh, for a lot of people as well. But what we're showing here is that even in these basic uh, lessons of morality, uh, there's a higher standard by which Christians need to live by. And I think there's a little more to this verse than just, hey, don't lie. Um, what are we required to do toward one another? He's talking about a common respect and certainly a love that we should have. And if you certainly you know, show a love, you're not going to uh, do something to defraud or um, you know, lie to your uh, brother in Christ in particular. And I think that's what the context of verse 25 is. And 
don't get me wrong, this is a standard for you know everybody across the board. We know that God hates lying. It's one of the abominable sins. But he says, let each of you speak truth. So he's not just telling us don't lie. He's telling us what to say. Um, and later in this lesson, we'll see the the type of speech that we should have that leads to the edification of others. You cannot lie and misrepresent the truth and edify someone else. There's much false teaching in our world today in a religious way and that leads people astray. And because of those lies, uh, there will be lost souls. So he says, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. And again, as I'm pointing out, who's that neighbor? And I believe in the context he's talking about fellow brethren, because here he says, for we are members of one another. In other words, there's a higher expectation among us. There's an expectation that, you know, our brethren, our, our friends in the Lord, uh, you know, their word is, is solid. Their word is gold. I can count on it. Uh, if a brother, you know, gives his word to me, um, I don't have to fear. And there's a lot of fear in the world today. That's why we have to sign contracts. That's why we have to uh, make deals with people and why we have to be very official, why you have to have notaries and you have to have witnesses. And, and uh, there's a lot of mistrust in the world today where people oftentimes just, they go into a business situation. You, you know, the days of handshake, I mean, quite frankly, if they ever really truly existed, are over. But are they over with brethren? Can't we trust one another? And certainly there probably have been times we've been let down. Sometimes people have faltered back into sin. But this is one of the basic, the very basic uh, examples of fellowship between people who love the Lord. And so why throw this out there? Was it a big problem with the Ephesians? I, I can't say. I, I, I doubt it when I read through Ephesians as a whole. But but uh, I think he's starting with some very basic principles of the honesty and integrity and uh, of the necessity of speaking truth, not just in, in factual things of daily business, but speaking truth according to the gospel, leading people to Christ and not away. And so we could talk a lot about that, but let's go on and look at some of the other examples that he shows in regard to the characteristics of the new man. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? But at the same time, there's some things that maybe some folks haven't thought about before. One, he's not condemning anger. You know, when you look at anger throughout the Bible, most of the time, it's a reference about uh, to God regarding his wrath upon his own people who rebelled against him, who maybe turned to idolatry and false gods and false teaching. Uh, these things do not make God happy. So we must be against sin. Um, be angry. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five. You know, if you, um, you know, go against your brother without cause, and, and he kind of puts that little caveat in there. Cause. What does that mean? Well, it means that um, there's there can be reason to be angry about something, but but what are you going to do about it? How are you going to handle it? I've seen people that are angry about a particular thing. But I've also seen people that are just angry people. And that's the difference that you need to consider in your own life. It's like there's nothing wrong with being angry against sin. But how do we lash out? It doesn't mean that our temperament needs to be uh, off base. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we need to be um, you know, violent. It doesn't mean that we need to harbor this just 
ill will and, and hatred within our, our hearts. It doesn't mean that we have to have a scowl on our face and just be mad at everything around us. Uh, there's a difference in character. And though we may be angry at some things, it's usually a judgment on our part in regard to the difference between right and wrong. How we see things should be. And people will do things to us and spark and anger in us. But how do we deal with it? And as Jesus, we, we should deal with it in a loving way. He says, be angry and do not sin. That's an important thing. You know, Jesus has given us many examples where he looked at folks in anger because of their disrespect toward the Father. Uh, he took sometimes matters in his own hands to uh, drive out the money changers from the holy place, the temple. And um, people use examples like that, and they kind of, you know, take them a bit too far, you might say. Jesus is not promoting, uh, you know, vigilante justice or anything like that. And that's kind of another lesson. But he's, he's showing us here that <clears throat> um, we stand against sin, but we need to treat it like Jesus also said, love your enemies. How do we do that? Well, again, Sermon on the Mount, he says to bless them, do good to them, and pray for them. Uh, that's how you love your enemies. A lot of people get caught up in the emotional aspect of what love is. And don't get me wrong, I don't, you know, that's certainly a part of it. But Jesus' focus on love was in the basic how we treat one another and how we um, are viewing them in a spiritual sense. And that's why he says, you know, pray for them. Go to your Father in prayer on behalf of those that you are angry with. And, and that's a very important lesson right there that, when somebody makes you angry, is your first reaction to pray for them? For a lot of people, probably not. But that's a good habit to start and to think that we need to turn to God. Because one, it helps us control our temper. And certainly, it should help the others. Uh, if we find we're, that we're in conflict with someone, have a rational discussion with them, if at all possible. Um, there doesn't need to be a knee-jerk reaction to everything that you're angry about. So... Uh, the end of the verse says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And I think there's a couple ways to look at this as well, that when you're angry about something, you want to take care of it right away. That's probably the most common view of looking at not letting the sun go down in your wrath. In other words, take care of it before you go to sleep. You know, Make sure that you uh, aren't tossing and turning all night with this feeling of anger in your heart about something. Uh, so handle it right away. And that's a good principle uh, to live by as well. Some things take a little bit more time to you know, accomplish. Sometimes discussions need to be had. Sometimes you need to schedule a time to meet with people. Sometimes you need time to sort things out. So what I also think this might allude to is that when we think about the sun going down, sometimes we think about the end of something. Um, you know, like the song, don't let the sun go down on me. You know, it's like, it's the end. It's over. Uh, sometimes we look at the end of life as being the autumn of someone's life. Um, so what I'm saying here is that don't let things end on a bad note before it's too late. Um, you know, there's the practical handle things right away and, you know, don't, uh, don't let it linger and, and so on. But it's also a bigger picture about life that uh, how much anger, or hatred, or animosity are you going to carry? Uh, are you going to carry it to your grave? Are you going to carry it for years and years and years and let it uh, build up where you've just become embittered? 
to where you are, that angry person just all the time for no particular reason. It's just so embedded in your life and in your mind and in your heart. You just don't know how to feel any different. And when the end comes, and the sun has certainly set on your life, you have become a person that just almost can't change. Now, I'm not saying you can't change. This, this passage right here about putting on the new man is all about change. It's all about making uh, changes in our lives, starting with the basic principles as to how we deal with one another. So don't let things end on a bad note. Uh, try to make things end on, on better notes, uh, notes of, of fellowship, of, you know, um, agreement. You know, maybe you won't always, you know, reconcile the particular issue that happened, but um, you don't have to leave a situation with, with hatred in your heart. Lots of examples in the Bible. Um, you got Jacob and Esau, a lot of animosity for many years until they reconciled. Sometimes age and maturity will help people do that. Uh, when they do come to these realizations, I don't have much time left. I better better straighten out my attitude, and maybe I can help others along the way. If Cain had had that attitude, then maybe things would have turned out different with his brother Abel. So there are a lot of character concerns in regard to putting on the new man or putting off the old man. And of course, ultimately, he says in verse 27, nor give place to the devil. All of these things that we're talking about thus far are ways that just let the devil in. And, and they're on us. They're within our control. The lying, the anger, things like that. Those are things that we have to control in our own character and uh, find ways. We need to look for practical ways to develop better and loving character in our life. And so put them, put them in practice. Um, <clears throat> sometimes it's just a, you know, you, you get a little flustered about something. It might be good to do that old classic count to 10, you know, stop, breathe, contain yourself, uh, you know, find something positive to do or to read, go for a walk. You know, sometimes you have to remove yourself from a situation and uh, so you can clear your mind. There's nothing wrong with those things. We're not running away from a fight as they say, but there's a time and a place for everything. And even in dealing with our anger. So giving place to the devil is giving opportunity for him to come in and um, not only grab us in those things, but to uh, create other opportunities for sin as well. Because as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when it comes to being angry with your brother, it could lead to things like murder. Uh, it leads to things like treating one another unfairly and badly and violence and all these things that you hear about every single time you turn on the news. And it's usually as a result of somebody's anger. So don't give place to the devil. Don't let him in. Don't let him win. Let's always turn to God and put him at the first and foremost because that first reaction that you might have in regard to bad temperament or treating someone else with an act of revenge, that's letting the devil in. That's the way the devil would do it. Don't let it be the way you would do it. So it's like also allowing sin to take place. Romans chapter 1 and uh, pretty much to the end of the chapter reminds us of the state of the world, the state of society. And he says, you know, those that practice such things are not only guilty, but also those who approve of such things. Don't give approval to the devil. Don't um, go into a situation letting the devil think that he has won. Some other practical things to consider as well in verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Again, 
He comes up with a what not to do, but a solution as to how to overcome. You know, no longer do you take, but now you give. Uh, That's the solution here. And some people are put into a position of taking and stealing. But if we're giving, if you give to someone, they don't have a reason to steal. There's never a good reason to steal. I'm not trying to imply that. I'm trying to say that people that are involved in thievery and things like that, usually uh, some some are desperate. This is by no means softening or justifying someone's taking of ill-gotten gain. But um, if we are more giving, then you find you close the door for somebody to take. You know, they say in business, if you're running a business and someone comes in trying to steal from you, that you just you give them. You give them what they want. Give them the money, whatever. Uh, that can be replaced. Your life cannot be. And, um, you know, sometimes you can avoid somebody putting themselves in a dangerous situation by your kindness, uh, by providing for them. Um, and so there are all kinds of opportunities uh, in the world as well. Sometimes there's just bad people. I'm not, I'm not ignoring that fact as well. And I'm not saying it's going to save the world because we're only saved through Jesus Christ. And if we show people that we are willing to be, uh, you know, work with our hands and, and give of what we've been blessed with, we can make it sure that they understand these blessings come from God. Uh, it's not that, you know, we're great people and we're just givers all the time. These blessings come from God, and we're here on this earth to share these things. So no longer do you take, but you give, and that helps others from taking as well. So verse 29 let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Again, don't do this, but do this. I love the style of these last few passages. And of course, we mentioned this a few moments ago as we looked at the things that we say in regard to uh, defrauding or lying you know, toward our neighbor. And so he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And that, that could be a, a lot of different things. Uh, one thing that might come to your mind is profanity just the coarseness in which people speak in our society today um that that's not that's not proper that's that's sinful taking the lord's name in vain but also just the the falsity of of religion you know false teaching you may say it in a loving way you may be a good moral person and never uttered, uttered a curse word in your life uh, you may have never lied or cheated or, or stole but uh, if you're not teaching God's truth as God had revealed it, those words are corrupt. And if what you're saying is leading people away from God, those words are corrupt. And once again, they give place to the devil, they lead to anger, and they're all lies. You see how all these things tie in together? So he says, let no corrupt proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification? We talk about a lot of times... Uh, edifying. Edifying isn't always just buttering people up or saying the things that they want to hear. In fact, the Bible kind of condemns that. But it's also rebuke. It can also be correction. It can be things that people find very difficult to hear and um, you know may sound kind of judgmental from time to time. But what he's saying here is that edify because it's necessary. And those are the words of God. Those are the things that you want to encourage. Because in order to understand the love of God, you also need to understand the fear of the wrath of the Lord. 
Uh, consider, for instance, you know, well, I was baptized at a young age, and I'll admit I was motivated in many ways to um, come to the Lord because I didn't want eternal condemnation. Uh, that was certainly a motivation. But as I grow older in the Lord, and uh, I learn to appreciate more God's love and the hope for an eternal life in heaven, and there are a lot of phrases I like to use, you know, there are a lot of rainbows and butterflies, you might say, you know, good, beautiful, beautiful things about living for the Lord. And that's, that's what we love to focus on. But we also have to remember, we have to identify what is corrupt. Because if we don't see what is bad, we might let the devil overtake us. We might be convinced, we might be, um, you know, tricked into thinking false uh, words and false teachings. So let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. That means you need to know what you're saying. Stop. Think. What am I saying? What am I doing? And in turn, what am I hearing? Because remember that with every word that's said, there's also a matter of hearing. The Bible says, take heed what you hear. And of course, I always like the old you know, irony that God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to listen twice as much as we talk. But uh, that's another lesson. But he says... What is good for necessary edification? And then the most beautiful part of this passage is that it may impart grace to the hearers. Um, you know, there's an old saying, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I'll, I like that principle. Sometimes you have to, as I said earlier, stop, you know, take a breath, remove yourself from the situation. But also you have to remember that the flip side of this is make sure that what you do say is of something that is an you know, for the benefit uh, of someone else. You know, make sure that what you say is something that lifts others up. And and you, in order to do that, really, you need to know who they are. You kind of need to know what their needs are. And when you seek those things out and you get to know the character of a person a little more, then, then you kind of know uh, how to approach them in the way that you speak, the words that you use, and, uh, and, and try to lift them up. We all have different characteristics, we all have different ways of communicating, and we need to be understanding toward one another because sometimes we take, especially in today's society, we, we take one another's words, and sometimes we try to put our own meaning to them. Have you ever received a letter or a text message, an email or something? You're reading it, and you think this person is, is mad about something, and maybe they weren't. Uh, maybe they said something in a certain way with an expression on their face, um, you know, but that doesn't mean that they were you know, angry about something or, or, or whatnot. Um, imparting grace to the hearers is a, I think there's a delicate balance there. Now, number one, when you, when you impart the word of God to the hearer, that's grace. You can't go wrong with that. Okay. Um, but we also sometimes want, you know, kind of determine how do we do that? And, you know, I'm not going to say there's necessarily a best way or a right way versus a wrong way. Um, but, in regard to a wrong way, uh, when you are trying to save someone's soul, you're, you're not going to do so to their detriment. You're going to do so for their benefit. And that may come across in your character, maybe your desperation, maybe your, your sadness toward their sinful state, whatever it might be, given the situation. Um, just make sure it's the words of God. And that way, you know that you can always say it right, you might say. So if you don't have something nice to say, say the word of God. <laughs> Go again to the Bible. Pick out a few passages that you can keep with you uh, handy 
that maybe when you are having a moment of anger or sadness or whatever, you, you might have a list of passages that might encourage you that you can just kind of flip through the Bible and, and look and receive a little encouragement and maybe pass that along to someone else. Um, visited with some folks the other day and uh, someone just randomly read a passage and asked a couple questions and it sparked a conversation. And it was uplifting. It was encouraging uh, because when we're seeking the truth together and imparting that grace through uh, the, the, just the reading of God's Word, uh, we're going to find a unity and a fellowship. And that's what we're looking for here. And then verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, there's a lot in this verse that I think people sometimes misunderstand, but I'm just going to look at it basically today, and maybe we can revisit it in a lesson on its own. But I want to simplify it just to the point that remember that the Holy Spirit revealed the Word of God. And that's what we've been talking about really through as a theme through this entire lesson. Don't do this the old man way, but do this the new man through what the Spirit has revealed in the Word of God. Really, the book of Ephesians is about that as a whole. Later, when we get to the the uh, sword of the Spirit, you know, the, the, um, the effects of the Word of God and how it's to be used, uh, the armor of God, in other words. Um, and so, when we're speaking the words of God, you know, we're, we're referring to our Bibles. We're referring to what the Holy Spirit has, has revealed. And this Word is the Word that saves our souls. And as Romans 1.16 says, you know, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And to grieve someone is to cause them sorrow, a heaviness of heart. You know, a lot of times you find in scripture where preachers talked about, you know, preaching in vain. Paul talked a lot about preaching in vain. Don't let these words be in vain. Don't let what Christ has done be in vain. Let's not grieve the heart of God. From the very beginning of time, you see God's disappointment in man. Adam and Eve, and then later on at the Tower of Babel, God saw the wickedness of man. And in Noah's day, what does he say? He says that, um, you know, he was grieved over the, the state of man. and uh, he, But he saved man. Even when God is grieved, he gives a solution to the problem. So think about the words of the Spirit. Respect those words. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. And uh, the, to have respect toward God, you need to read his Bible. Uh, don't speak for God outside of the written word. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians, don't go beyond what is written. I believe that's chapter 4. Don't go beyond what is written. And then he says, by whom you were sealed for the day of, of redemption. And, and, you know, you think about the day of redemption. I mean, when are we redeemed? You could look at this as, well, the day we're obedient to the Lord. Uh, baptized into Christ, having our sins washed away. What a wonderful day that is. But uh, a lot of times we look at this as judgment, you know, the ultimate day of judgment, that we are sealed. In other words, we are assured of salvation. We are given that, we like to sing the song, Blessed Assurance. And what is that blessed assurance in? Is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what the Spirit has revealed to the holy apostles and prophets. That's what they revealed to us. If we go against the Bible... We're in essence hurting God. We're hurting the Lord. We're hurting the very plan of salvation uh, that they sacrificed so much for so we could have a hope of eternal glory. 
I'm quickly running out of time, so let's go ahead and look at verses 31 and, uh, and, th- and 32 together. Because here again, you find direct contrast between the old man and the new man. And quite frankly, this is one of my favorite sections of, of the Bible. When you look at the kind of demeanor and character that we should have, and as I said a moment ago, keep some verses handy that will encourage you through the day. And I think this is a good passage right here. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. Now what does verse 31 mean? Well, let me put it this way. If you do verse 32, you never have to worry about verse 31. <laughs> Let's read it again. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. That's loud, you know, fighting, quarreling. Uh, there are just some loud people in the world that want attention on them. And they, uh, uh, they're just so angry, you know, with, with other people. These are all characteristics of folks who um, wish ill will upon others. They're angry people. Many of them lie. They've given place to the devil. They may take from others. It may not always be physical things, but uh, they certainly take the joy out of life for themselves and for others. And of course, that's a contrast to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, that talks about the carnal man. And he, he tells those Corinthians who had a lot of problems, you're acting as mere men. Just, just like men, you're not acting as Christians should act. You're not acting as, as uh, you know, the mature Christian should. And so how do we overcome this? How do we overcome the animalistic, you know, attitude of, of folks? I mean, you, you've seen them on the nature shows, right? Animals that just, they're loud with their dominant behavior, always running someone over. There are people like that in the world today. People like that in business. They think you can't get ahead unless you step on someone. And that's not the way... Uh, God wants us to be as Christians. And let's just look at verse 32. And if I have to explain these things to you, I'd be willing to. But let, let's let it speak for itself. It's, it's something that, you know, a five-year-old could understand. Be kind to one another. Let's just let that sink in for a moment. Be tender-hearted. That's a, that's a word we don't use as often as we used to, perhaps. When's the last time you saw a tender-hearted person? You know who they are. And that's the way we need to be. Forgiving one another. It takes the attitude of being tender-hearted and kindness to forgive. And if you find a person that's willing to forgive, you're going to find kindness. You're going to find tender-heartedness. And then he gives us the ultimate example. Even as God in Christ forgave you. There's our example. That's the pattern that we should follow. We'll pick up with chapter 5 next time. And we'll talk about these things as we refer to them every, every once in a while. But let them be a part of your mindset today. Let them be a part of, as you go throughout the week, the, your dealings with other people. And not just Christians, but everybody that you may run across. The folks in your home that you deal with the most. Don't be impatient, but be understanding. Be tender-hearted, Because that's the way Christ is with us. Thank you for joining us on Truth and Reason. We'll see you next time. I want to be ready to meet him by and by. I want to be ready to meet him in the sky. 
I want to be more like him and do his blessed command. For I want to be ready to meet him in the glory land. For I want to be ready to meet him in the glory land.